The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers. So where are you coming to us from this time? I am still in Singapore. I will be here for another 12 hours. I leave tonight, which is my Sunday night, for Brisbane, Australia. It's an overnight flight. What, what are you doing in Australia? I am working with my, uh, my, my consulting business on Major League Sports, the company that... Is this the way you've connived people into paying to send you around the world to check out what other sporting teams are doing with their music? Oh, listen, nobody is paying for me to do anything. I'm actually paying... The, I'm paying the freight on this. So we're meeting with some people in Australia who might be able to hook us up with some professional sports teams that need help with choosing the music that they use for within their professional sports matches, their games. Because rock and roll part two no longer cuts it? Well, this is part of the problem. <laughs> the, 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 the issue is that so many sports teams have been playing the same stupid songs over and over and over again that it's time for a refresh. You know what's worse than them playing the songs over and over and over again is in Australia, they're playing them over and over backwards. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so how many times do you need to hear ACDC's Thunderstruck during a sporting, a sporting event? How many times do you need to hear uh, White Stripes' Seven Nation Army? So See, I don't go do, to sporting events. I don't have to worry about these things. Well, no, you don't. But what I do is we, we go in and we try to create these bespoke musical personas for these teams so that when they have a game... Uh, the music is fresh and exciting and it's something that gets the fans into it and keeps the players engaged and all that sort of stuff. So we're on our way to Australia to talk to some people in uh, the Australian Football League, soccer. Uh, we're talking to them about 2020 cricket, which apparently is a, a thing, uh, <laughs> Australian uh, rugby. And at one point, we want to be, be able to get into the um, – Premier Cricket League in India. What kind of music would you play to get the crowd going at a cricket match? Well, if you know anything about the Indian Premier League, it's kind of like, and I know this is going to be lost on you because you don't watch sports, it's kind of like watching Fox football on Sunday afternoon. They've got uh, the cheerleaders, they've got the crowd that goes crazy, they've got the instant replays, they've got the great graphics, they've got, it, it's, it's, it's like watching a major, major league over-the-top American sporting event, and they might need some music or at least some consulting to help to go along with that. Sounds like a Simpsons sketch just waiting to happen. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes and GeoCities, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. The iCar is coming, if you believe the latest court documents filed against Apple. Are these your drums? David Letterman signs off with the Foo Fighters, and we look at his fetish for the skins. Your iPad is about to get a much-needed upgrade. We'll tell you why your spouse is going to be pleased. Plus, an update on our Roku 3 streaming video player giveaway, and prove Alan is obsessed with sex robots. I'm not. I'm not really. No, I'm not. Yeah, yeah, you are. Maybe. Opinions are like iPhones. Everybody's got one, and nobody cares about yours. And now... The Apple car is coming, according to some uh, documents, court documents filed nonetheless, that Gizmodo's managed to dig up. 
Okay, you tell me about this, and then I'm going to give you my take on it. Go ahead. According to court documents that drop these heavy hints that the car is, in fact, coming, a lawsuit from a battery company that Apple's been hit with claims that Apple poached employees to work on the car specifically, the iCar. Now, the other thing is, is that iCar may very well be uh, battling with Tesla to attract that electric car manufacturing talent. And so there could very well be a lot more to this story than we believe. All right. I thought Apple and Tesla were making nice. I thought they were getting along. Well, you were talking about the prospect that maybe Apple wouldn't make an electric car. They'd just make the dashboard and that Tesla would get involved in that. But Tesla unloaded all of its patents onto the public domain for anyone to use. And I can imagine Apple would snap a few of those up. Absolutely. Now, they couldn't make any money off those patents, of course, because they're public domain patents. Mm-hmm. But it, it doesn't make sense to me from a manufacturing point of view for Apple to build something, and it would be in China, Uh, to go to Foxconn or somebody and say, no, we don't want you to build handheld devices or desktop devices anymore. We want you to build something that's on four wheels. Uh, You know, just because Google is doing it, Google's going to take the the lead in this self-driving car thing. And I I can't see Tim Cook, who is a very, very pragmatic sort of guy, whose background is in supply chain management. I can't see him setting up this entirely new manufacturing division for the mistake of coming up with an electric car. It might be some kind of skunk works that they're doing just so they can have a platform on which they can experiment. But I I don't see Apple making a car. If they can't make a TV, they're not going to make a car. Yeah, that latest rumor was that the TV was put on the back burner. Yeah, because uh, whatever Stephen Jobs said about cracking TV, he didn't. It's the only way Apple is going to move forward in television is if they update Apple TV, which I think we're going to see with WWDC coming in next month, where they have a new version of version. What would this be? Is it three or four? Probably three, like a full brand new edition of of Apple TV. And they're going to make it like we've been talking about uh, with a more powerful processor, with more uh, with more memory. And then there's going to be some sort of dedicated division of the app store that's going to allow you to do things that way uh, the, uh, the idea of apple creating a flat panel display that they would sell is 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 absolutely crazy and if they did do it it would be thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars i mean all the manufacturers uh who do flat panel displays are are, are suffering i mean lg samsung panasonic got out of the business uh, there's Vizio that's uh, still doing okay. Uh, Hisense is is coming okay out of China. I've been told that Hisense is kind of like where Samsung and LG were five or seven years ago. So so they're making some progress. But you know, it's all these Chinese and Korean manufacturers. There's no way Apple's going to do a TV, and there's no way Apple's going to do a car. If you want to talk about an Apple dashboard. All right, I'll listen. Meantime, when I was at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, Mercedes-Benz had a vehicle that they figured by 2030 we would be driving. And 2030 is only 15 years away. And when I talked to the chief designer of it, we talked about some of the features that they would include because if it's an autonomous vehicle that drives itself, that frees the driver up to do a heck of a lot more than just keep his eyes on the road. And that's why, he said, they put panels into the sides of the doors that were basically touch computer screens. So you could actually do some work while you got yourself on the on the way to work. You're asking on a journal of musical What does the rise of self-driving cars have to do with radio? It basically you're, you're taking your living room, putting it on wheels and looking for some kind of distractions 
until you get to your destination. Or put it this way, it's, it's like riding an aircraft. You get in your seat, you've got the, the video display in front of you, and you, um, you, you find things to distract you over the course of that flight. How would be driving a car any different? The, the issue with radio is that for the longest time, cars have essentially been radios on wheels. Ever since Motorola introduced the car radio in 1931, radio broadcasters have had captive audiences within cars because radio is something that you can do while you enjoy and consume while you're doing something else. Now, if you're not driving yet moving through time and space to wherever you happen to go, radio all of a sudden is under siege. It has, it, there's going to be lots of competition. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's really kind of cool thinking that you could watch, you know, last night's TV that you never ca caught up on. You could have a, uh, you know, link your, your PPR, your DVR into your car and, and catch up on your last night's TV while you're, while you're commuting. So T so radio needs to be more relevant is what you're saying. At the end of the day, you're competing with so many other options that you need to give something to the driverless driver that they're not getting through YouTube. Right. So this is something this is, I think, the next one of the stages in where we have all these disparate types of media. We have television, we have print, we have radio, we have online, and we have them all siloed in, under these these specific categories. Now we're everything is going to consolidate into just media. So it doesn't matter whether it's radio or television; it's going to be audio and video and text and interactivity all in one. But uh, we'll just move further down that road until uh, we, we reach this, this, this consolidation point. I think your FM radio DJ is dead, though. By 2030, when, we're driving, when the cars are driving for us, uh, you're not going to be listening to stacks and stacks of red hot wax. I remember when the first morning television programs came on. And I guess the first one that I was aware of growing up where it was was Canada AM. And I remember thinking, well, this is kind of silly, you know. Uh, I'm busy getting ready. Why would I be watching TV? Exactly, exactly. And then later, when some of these radio programs, when some of these morning show TV programs started offering traffic reports, I thought, well, this is stupid. Why are you showing a traffic report on TV? Because the only time I'm really going to need a traffic report is when I'm in a car. And last time I checked, there is no TV in a car. So maybe, maybe what this does, here's my prediction, is that the self-driving car will lead to a rise in popularity, an even greater rise in popularity of morning television shows. Because that's where you would, you know, get this kind of information. And not just any local. I mean, not the Today Show, not uh, CBS This Morning. I'm talking about local television so shows. So if, if Rogers, for example, can hang on with uh, shows like Breakfast Television, that could be just a monster sort of uh, source of revenue. You know how I know you're old? How? Because you're still thinking in a linear fashion. People aren't going to want to sit there and watch something from point A to point B from beginning to end. They're going to be curating their own content. They don't want to have somebody else say, welcome to the show. Sit back and watch me make all the decisions about what you're going to watch. In the morning, you know, that is your most linear time of day. And you have specific milestones, mileposts on your way to work. So there is a certain amount of linearity that you're going to want. After you get to your morning news and you're filled in on what's going on, 
on and you're sure that it's absolutely going to be safe to you know walk out the door uh, then you can start picking and choosing and, and have everything on demand So I finally finished watching the final episode of uh, The Late Show with David Letterman, and uh, it was a little teary-eyed, but I was even more upset to find out the next day that immediately after uh, the show was over, uh, they threw out the set. They literally dumped it in a dumpster. I saw that. There was a couple of guys picking up that bridge that was behind the set. Oh, it, oh, it crushed me. It, me too. And it didn't, how long did it take? You know, not even 24 hours and they were throwing this stuff out. And why would you, why would CBS do this? This is, this is mind boggling. They spent so much money acquiring the Ed Sullivan Theater just for Dave and then maintaining the Ed Sullivan Theater for all those years just for Dave. What are they going to do with that space? And, you know, CBS... It's it's it, it's you would think that because they have that theater, they would have this sense of history with their 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 television programming over the years. That stuff, you know, the desk, the bridge, all that other stuff. I mean, I would have taken that to CBS BlackRock. And, and put it in the lobby for people to see, for God's yeah, sake. Yeah, exactly. If Cosmo Kramer can do his own version of the Merv Griffin show. You would think that they would save the David Letterman set or at the very least auction off pieces of it, because I would certainly have been more than happy. The dumpster divers, though, were pretty happy because they got bits and pieces of it. Bits and pieces of uh, Dave's musical guests made it onto a supercut uh, that uh, Geeks and Beats writer Shane Alexander uh, found, uh, where Dave uh, chit chats with the band after the set, asking, these your drums? Beautiful drums. Are these yours? Oh, those are nice. I love those. I love those. These are drums. They're beautiful. These are drums. They're great. I never realized that until I saw the supercut. I knew this, but I'll tell you this. As a TV guy, I don't think Dave is as into drums as people think no. Dave is into drums. No, I think this was just this weird little running joke that he that he did. And I was surprised when, when they did the, um, uh, the, Ray Romano did the, um, uh, the look back on on thirty three. Oh, that years. was terrible. It, it was, I the production was, values were awful. It, it was it was slapped together. It was really slapped together. But I was waiting, and when they get to got to the musical guest, I was waiting for this supercut where Dave talks about, "Oh, these are your drums. Did you rent those drums? You own those drums." I, I I thought that that would show up, and it didn't. In fact, I I bet my wife we were sitting on the couch on the couch saying, "Okay, at some point they're going to talk about musical guests and watch. You're going to see this thing where Dave." Comes up, congratulates the band at the end of their set, and says to uh, somebody, these are your drums, and it never happened. TV people have little things that they do um, that they repeat. And when you put it in a supercut, it looks ridiculous. You don't really notice it as much uh, when it's done on a nightly basis. But when you step up to the band, there's really not that much you can engage these guys with. The noise, and I've been to the theater, the noise is deafening as people applaud. There's really not an opportunity to engage these guys. What are you going to say to the drummer who's always left out? And this is my theory, that Dave realized 
realizes that the poor drummer is the one who gets no attention. It's the front man who, every time they go on a talk show, it's the front man who gets the attention. So he wanted to draw attention to the drummer without actually having to engage the guy in a fashion that makes it look like he's ignoring the front man. So all you do is compliment him on his drums. And of course, every drummer is very attached to their gear, and they would be more than happy to hear Dave Letterman loves their drums. I was surprised to learn that uh, Letterman credits the Foo Fighters for saving his life. Yeah, I didn't realize this either. I thought, leading up to the finale, that it was either going to be Bob Dylan as the final musical guest, or it was going to be Eddie Vedder. Foo Fighters showed up and played Everlong, I thought, whoa, okay, that's a rather interesting hearkening back to when Dave returned from his open heart surgery and the musical guest was the Foo Fighters and he credits that as being... I don't know, part of his rebirth is somebody with a new heart? Matthew Smith at uh, geeksandbeats.com reports that uh, the 68-year-old Letterman specifically asked the Foo Fighters when he came back from open-heart surgery to be the guys to show up, and they apparently canceled a tour to make that possible, which sort of explains why after 33 years and 6,028 shows that he said, you know what, these are the guys we've got to go out on. But apparently that particular track you're talking about is something that was was near and dear to his new heart as he was recovering. Yeah, this has something to do with his son, right? His, his baby boy at the time? I don't know. Does it? I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it does. Uh... It's all very nebulous. He, Dave's a very private guy, doesn't want to talk about a lot of things. Uh, but apparently, that particular track meant a lot to him, and so it was very important that the Foo Fighters be the guys uh, to send him off into whatever's next. Which, by the way, he said... He might do a podcast if he thought anyone was actually listening. Well, okay, so you're 68 years old. You've done 33 years of late-night television. What do you do next? Well, he could start a band. No, he couldn't. Did you see the heavy metal band name generator I posted at the Geeks and Beats Facebook page? I love these band name generators. These are really, really good. Let's just open it up and have a look here. Okay, let's see. Yeah, go to the Geeks and Beats uh, Facebook page. We've got the link there. We've also got it on the uh, regular website as well. And it's very simple. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to punch anything in. It's not one of these, take the first letter of your first name and the first letter of your last name. None of that nonsense. You just click generate new band name and you get... Terminal Mom. Mighty Dog. You know, this isn't bad. As somebody who has been in a number of bands or was in a number of bands over the years, selecting a name is the most torturous thing that you can do. Demon Flaws. Monster Studs. That's fantastic. <laughs> and of course, everybody's favorite opening act. Naked Skin. See, when here's what you have to think about when you're selecting a name for your band. Number one, it has to be unique. Nobody can have used it before. Number two, it has to reflect everything that there is to reflect about your band, your music, your attitude, your image, all that sort of stuff. Third, it has to lend itself to great graphic design, because if you come up with a name that doesn't look good in a logo or in a T-shirt, you're, you're in trouble. And third, it has to be, uh, fourth, it has to be memorable. So by the time you start going through all these name combinations, you realize that all the really good names, like Black Sabbath, have been taken. So any help that you can get when it comes to finding a name for your new band, oh, <laughs> I can't even talk. I, can't. I just hit it again. 
Yeah, yeah, you hit it again. And some of these ones you can't actually yeah, say on the radio. But this is a great one. What a That would be a great grindcore name, Ben. What about Demon Knot? Has that been taken? I don't know. I, I just got Final Crush. I mean, that sounds like it should have been used. The Internet's official heavy metal band name generator. This is one of the best that I've ever... Baby Sadist. I love this thing. You're listening to Geeks and Beats on iTunes, Stitcher, and the Bell Media Radio Network. One of the features that I found conspicuously absent on the iPad is the ability for me to have my own identity on the iPad separate from that of my wife and separate from that of my eight-year-old girl. I don't want her apps I don't care. I don't want my wife's email. I'm not interested in going through her messages. And according to 9to5Mac.com, we are finally getting multi-user login support. Now, I don't have this problem because I simply buy an iPad for anybody that I don't want to use mine. Which is nobody because your wife is a Luddite and she's not interested anyway. No, but she has her own iPad, so I don't have to deal with it. Uh, And she doesn't have to deal with mine. But I can understand... Not everybody can afford multiple iPads. So the idea of having one iPad for the family with multiple, I guess, multiple desktops makes an awful lot of sense. Apparently, the update to iOS, iOS 9, and uh, the new 12-inch iPad that is apparently coming out. The the current one is, what, 13.7 inches or something like that? Uh, The new one is going to be just a little bit smaller, but not so small as to cut into sales of the Mac Mini, but to more compete with the Samsung devices. The J98 and J99 are the code names for the 12-inch iPads that will not only support multi-user logins, but also split-screen, side-by-side app support. Do you see why this is important? One of the most frustrating things I have with my iPad is that I would like to be able to refer to two windows at the same time. Right. Maybe your email on one side and a website on the other. Uh, let's say I'm cutting, let's say I'm doing a lineup for, for the for the podcast. You know, I would have an email window open and I would be going through uh, something else in the other window, cutting and pasting URLs into the uh, into the email that I would then send to you. Can't do that right now because you have to go to the web page, select and hi- or highlight and select and then uh, copy and then open another, you know, go through the rigmarole of opening the email window, which is a couple of steps, pasting in there and going back and forth. So I, I, w- I would love that. So is this, this would be true multitasking then, right? So the most likely thing is, is that come June, when the Worldwide Developers Conference uh, occurs, we'll get the announcement of the multi-user login, as well as the split screen capability for the upcoming iPad. It will likely be available for the older iPads as well. But if you've got a second generation or earlier, in other words, the first generation, you're going to want to avoid that because chances are it's going to grind your iPad to a halt being so bloaty with all that new operating system gadgetry. Uh, so we'll have to watch for that. But then they'll most likely make that available in September or November when they release the new iPads, which, by the way, have you noticed they've learned their lesson? They don't release the iPads in March anymore, which really pisses off everyone who got an iPad for Christmas only to find out three months later that it's obsolete. Yeah. And it used to be that uh, September was the iPod release month. So with iPods not being a factor anymore, it makes more sense to move the iPad release to that slot, it, it makes sense uh, totally. And I'll probably, I'll probably get one. I have an iPad Mini right now, but it's a little bit too small for me. So a 12-inch iPad uh, or 
uh, would probably be my next purchase. Back up to, to tablets for a second. Um, I, I don't know. Do, do Samsung tablets and others have multitasking abilities with split screens? That I honestly don't know because I avoid Android as as much as I possibly can. People ask me about Android versus Apple uh, iOS, and I always point out one key thing, that Apple does not approve apps in the App Store for iPad or any iOS device unless it uh, follows a certain series of user interface guidelines. They don't have that in the Android world. So, for example, in Android, uh, you may have the cancel button on the left, three out of four apps, but the cancel button's on the right for that fourth app. The number of times I've used an Android device and gone, well, well, hang on, I didn't mean to do that. I didn't want to do that. Why did it do that? And that's all because there is an inconsistent user interface. And there's it's an absolute wild west in the Android world. Whereas in the Apple world, you always know that the cancel button is in one spot, the save button is in the other, and it's not going to get reversed. If it's reversed in an app, Apple will turn down that app for, uh, for the App Store. I mentioned earlier that I had seven glasses of Shivas last night. The reason we I had seven glasses of Shivas is because I was out with my friend Shazad, who is a hardcore Android user. So he had a Samsung Galaxy S of some sort. I apologize. I'm terribly sorry to hear that. I, I know. And we were having, you know, I had my iPhone 6 and he had his Galaxy. And he was trying to... to sell me on the, the virtues of Android. But then once we got down into the apps, he got very frustrated and flustered very quickly because of, of the experience that he was having with various apps, including, you know, how to, uh, how to delete them. He uh, bought his phone. He uses a, a local carrier called Singtel. And the bloatware that Singtel puts on uh, the phones before they sell it to you is incredible. There's lots of crapware on there. So we spent, you know, about five of those glasses of Shivas figuring out how to delete all the apps that he didn't need. And in some cases, you can't delete all of them. There have been Samsung smartphones that I've used where you cannot delete certain Samsung apps. One app that uh, got the attention of Geeks and Beats writer Amber Healy on geeksandbeats.com is Spotify. Now that it's got this new service to match jogging pace and your heart rate with your music. And, uh, uh, she's uh, admittedly a little paranoid about Spotify's ability to monitor its users' heart rate. It is a bit creepy on some level, but if you are a jogger like I am, and you do jog to music like I do, uh, I find it very frustrating finding music on my playlists that match my pace. It's either too fast or too slow. And of course, the further you get into your run, the more tired you become, the worse your form becomes, the shorter your strides become, and everything changes when it comes to uh, uh, what you're actually, you know, what you want to be able to running to. I kind of like this idea that my playlist would automatically adjust to my heart rate and pace. I think that's kind of sexy. I don't really know exactly how it's monitoring your heart rate, but what Digital Music News and Amber Healy are reporting is that it looks like it's interpreting the beats per minute based upon the tempo of your run itself. So as we know that all of our smartphones can manage and monitor the number of flights we climb, the, the number of steps we take, it's interpreting the speed at which we're taking these steps to the tempo itself. So while Spotify ultimately monitors your jogging pace, where does it go from here? Well, okay. At the moment, the most 
common way of feeding your heart rate into your smartphone, and this would have to be a smartphone application right now for the most part, is a chest strap. So if you're running an application like RunKeeper, which keeps track of your heart rate and your pace as, as you run. Maybe there's an interface, maybe there's a Spotify interface or something like that. So they take... Oh, it, it goes even further than that. My Apple Watch has the ability to monitor my heart rate. It's not actively monitoring it right now, but the gist is, is that this is not that far off where it can attach to other devices like your Fitbit and things like that, such that you don't need to have some sort of chest strap like the one you're talking about. In a couple of years, uh, these devices are all going to be monitoring everything we're doing. And what does it say that Spotify could, at a moment's notice, pull up to see how many people are active and how many people are sedentary at any given time, and then at some point sell that information? There is, when I was here at Music Matters, I ran into a streaming music service called Mixcloud. Mixcloud had a deal with Adidas, and Adidas has a running watch and Mixcloud is incorporated into the watch itself. And again, no, no chest strap. They have some sort of LED thing on the underside of the watch that uh, monitors the, the pulsing in your, in your wrist. Yeah, like my Apple Watch. Yeah, like your Apple Watch. And this one guy was uh, 349 euros, which seemed to be a little bit dear for me. But it, I, you know, I, I should have asked him. I mean, he, he took me through the interface, and I should have asked him whether or not Mixcloud already integrates with the data that the watch is giving back so that it creates a bespoke playlist based on your speed and fatigue. At some point, you'll get a, a Spotify pop-up ad saying, hey, lardass, get up off the couch. And advertisers will take advantage of this. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine. This is a GNB News Update. The Geeks and Beats ongoing Roco 3 giveaway continues, uh, and uh, it's not that long that we're going to be uh, pulling into the bin there, the pulling out of the bin there, the name of uh, the big winner, because uh, the draw will be announced on Wednesday, June 3rd. So you still have a chance to win this $110 Roco 3, and uh, we have a new entrant into the uh, raffle, Mike Benninger. Chef Mike is his website, uh, and uh, chefmike.ca specifically, and he's pledging two dollars which means uh, he will get two tickets entered into the draw for this fantastic roku 3 in addition to everyone else who has already as part of the geeks and beats world's worst intern program managed to do so as well if you want to win this you have to be an intern on the show that's the only way to do it and the way that works is you pay us to work on this show and just like every other intern on any other show you actually do nothing to contribute to the show itself mike benninger joins michelle funk coltman mark bradley joe pro stephen King, Scott Coates, Stefan Dubor, Ian Long, Randy Redekop, Bill French, Thomas Foster, James Price, Craig Snyder, Bain Matheson, Sheila Modi, Gabriel Copley, and Wesley Sadgrove, among others. Did you say Stephen King? I did. Okay, I'm going to choose to believe that it's that Stephen King. It could be. Um, he's got a Gmail account. Do you think the real Stephen King, the author, would actually own a, a Gmail account? I think, I think he would have... Uh, He's only pledged one dollar. You would think the guy would throw a couple of bucks more. Is it Stephen with a PH? You no, know, it's with a PH. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Right. <laughs> 
So you go to geeksandbeats.com, uh, you support the show by clicking that link, support the show, or you go to Patreon, which is how we're doing this, since we stole the idea from Canada Land and Jesse Brown. And uh, at this point in the game, it's our way of actually making some money on the show and getting you some uh, cool toys uh, for a dirt cheap price as well. The neatest thing is we talked last week about the Roku 3 is its voice-activated capability, but it also has 1,400 channels. No, that's good. I mean, that uh, compared to some other... I mean, 1,000... You, you think you have too much choice when you turn on your TV? Ha! You haven't seen nothing yet. Exactly. Netflix, of course, is on there. So is Crackle. Cineplex is even on there. And the NHL Game Center, too. Very cool. Did I tell you that a bunch of people from around the world are now approaching me with stuff they want us to give away? That's a fantastic idea, because that's the only way we're going to actually make money off this show. Well, I'm lining up a couple of things, and it seems to be in the... Uh, premium head uh, headphone category. Ooh, I don't, don't give anything away yet, because we still have to give away the Roku. Yeah, yeah, we'll do the Roku first, then we'll get to this other stuff. I'm getting some stuff. I, by the time I get home um, next Friday, I should, uh, there may be something waiting for me. We'll, I'll, I'll let you know. You know what we should do? We should give away, we should call the folks over at Pet Chats. I was thinking of you, actually, more than anything. I was considering how much uh, time you spend away from home, and you are not at uh, the home studio right now. Uh, you are in Singapore, as we speak, uh, using crappy Wi-Fi in a local hotel. But Pet Chats, with a Z, dot com, makes a $350 video chat service. It's a video phone for you and your pet. Uh, as the owner of two dogs who absolutely hate me right now because I'm not home, I completely and entirely endorse this product. This is really wild. Not only is it a, a little video screen that's mounted at your, your dog or your cat level, you would, you would actually mount it onto the wall itself. It uses uh, your Wi-Fi network and your iPhone or your Android device so that you can uh, do a, a basically FaceTime with your pet. But the neatest feature of this $350 gadget is you can press a button on the app and it will spit out a treat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, isn't this glorious? This is fantastic. This is really good. And and if your if your little machine is running out of treats, you get a notification on your phone <laughs> that you got you got to call up a pet sitter and make sure that they restock the pet treat indicator. I like this more than life itself. I have to I have to have this. But wait, there's more. There's a scent dispenser as well. I can set a little of smell. Uh-huh. And what kind of smell can you load it up with? I have no idea. See, here's one, the big dog at home. Uh, she is so bereft that I'm not there that when it comes to, when she goes to bed, when she sleeps on the big bed, of course, uh, she sleeps on my pillow and just breathes in my scent. Oh, it's so sad. My eight-year-old daughter does the same thing. When I'm uh, on location somewhere overnight, uh, wifey lets her sleep on daddy's side of the bed, and she just lies there sniffing my pillow. Oh, it, that's adorable. It really is adorable. And now we're making people sick. Well, now now what we have to do is find Essence of Michael and Alan and, and load it into this thing. Hey, listen, maybe there's a... Maybe there's some kind of, uh, you know, scent business we can get into here. Yeah, I don't think anybody wants to smell us. <laughs> can we give that away as part of... No, it's probably a bad Patreon idea. No, we would have to pay people to take our <laughs> scent. Another sleepless night I'm still staring at the ceiling. 
Mashable.com's got a really neat article about the use of your smartphone in bed. And I've been desperately begging wifey to stop lying in bed and playing her video games or her little, you know, casual Angry Birds type games and, and Bejeweled Blitz and all that kind of stuff before bed because she's complaining that she's not getting a good night's sleep. And a steady trickle of studies confirm that, uh, in fact, yes, if you are staring at a glowing rectangle just before bed, it prevents your brain from shutting down. It does. It does. My wife complains about it all the time. She's got a, a Kindle, that, uh, a backlit Kindle, and she's got her iPad. And she'll read for a while until she decides that she He's kind of sleepy. She'll put it down and then just lie there. In, in because I, when you think about it, the 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 glowing screen tricks your circadian rhythm into thinking that well, it's still daylight. And you brought up an interesting point about the Amazon Kindle, the backlit screen. If you had an original one with e-paper ink or e-ink, whatever they're choosing to call it now, that wouldn't be a problem. It is the LED screen. Uh, the latest study was that of 9,846 teenagers between 16 and 19 in Norway. They spent two years working on this, and they published it in a medical journal. And as they recorded this teen sleep patterns, it was concluded that the dose-response relationship, the more you dose yourself with the device, the higher your risk of sleepiness the more you or sleepless. sleeplessness. The more you, yes, yes, I completely understand that. And there's something also about the frequencies of light that come off a panel from something like uh, an iPad that are especially sleep disrupting. It's the blue light, apparently, because there's that spectrum that comes off the screen, and it's the blue component of that spectrum that tells your brain that it is still daylight, despite the fact that it's not, and that you probably need to sleep. There's a, an app uh, for Android that alleges to harmonize your screen with the sun cycle, and 74,000 people have given it the thumbs up on the Google Play Store, and unless you jailbreak your iPhone, there's no equivalent to it but the uh, there's a company as well that will sell you a little film a little a little piece of plastic that glues over your screen much like a regular screen protector that filters out that blue light so that you can actually read your screen at night again allegedly I don't know if this is snake oil that allows you to read and then turn it off go to sleep and have a good night's rest now I would be interested in in trying that if for nothing more than to have my wife settle down a lot quicker and fall asleep there are uh, sunglasses you can buy that block the blue light as well so if you're yeah the blue blockers I mean we've had those around for a long time haven't we <laughs> right exactly if you want to look like a little old lady on a golf course Buy a pair of blue blockers for your bedtime reading needs. Or, or Aussie. Aussie's got blue blockers. Um, Bono wears blue blockers, blockers sometimes. I understood that the reason why Bono started wearing sunglasses wasn't because he thought it would make him look cool, but because he actually had an eye problem. He's got glaucoma. Glaucoma, huh? Yeah, yeah. No, he's he's been it's been under control since about nineteen ninety ninety one, which is when he started wearing the sunglasses. Uh, it's not terribly degenerative, but he's he's got it under control. And bright light is one of those things that 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 really really bothers him. So that's it. Wearing his his those sunglasses are not an affectation. It's an actual uh, therapeutic um, medical necessity. I got those jetpack blues just like Judy. You ever wondered why jetpacks never took off? Well, I'm still waiting for my sex robots and jetpacks. Oh, by the way, somebody pointed out um, in the comments this past week that somehow 
in every show, I managed to somehow steer the conversation into porn. <laughs> I wasn't going to bring it up, but yeah, somebody did point out that uh, when we were talking about virtual reality headsets like the Oculus Rift, uh, you slid the conversation into that direction. Now here, I took an innocuous conversation about the absence of jetpacks in society and automatically turned it into sex robots. Hello, hello. Hello, Mr. Powers. Hello, Mr. Powers. Care to have a little fun? Care to have a little fun? No, actually, I, uh, I have to save the world. So, okay, there, I've done it. I, I obviously have a problem. Um, but anyway, back to jetpacks. Yes, I'm very upset that we don't have jetpacks because I certainly would love one. The real issue about why we don't have jetpacks comes down to the fact that the thrust necessary to get your fat off the ground is so great that the fuel requirements would be well above what you could strap to a human body. Oh, the power to weight ratio is, is, is absolutely insane. Why do you think the Saturn V rocket was 365 feet tall? It's all fuel. In 1962, Bell Labs had a patent on a flying rocket belt, and the Pentagon actually witnessed them flying it in trials in their courtyard in front of the U.S. president at the time, Kennedy. And the problem is, is that as soon as you take off, you have to land. So how much fuel would it take for you to actually come down from a height of, say, 200 feet? I mean, you have to break yourself against gravity. I, I don't see us getting jetpacks anytime soon. In fact, I see us getting sex robots before we all get jetpacks. And there, I've done it again. So there you go. If you had me in the pool talking about porn by the end of the show, uh, yes, you win. We're going to be turning this into a drinking game before you know it. And you know what? I'm not trying to do it. It's just coming out. I obviously have a problem. Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.